everyone. Welcome back to the Voices of Care podcast. And today I have a very special guest with me. I have Pam Simmons Beasley with us from Columbia, South Carolina. Hi, Pam. How are you doing today? Hello, Tammy. I'm doing awesome today. Beautiful, crisp autumn morning. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Um, So you are a chapter 13 trustee. Um, How long have you been volunteering with CARE? I started volunteering with CARE in 2007 when the Honorable Johnny Waits decided to bring CARE to South Carolina. So that's about 13 years. Wow. So um, Judge Waits is the one that recruited you and got you involved? Yes, he is. He sent out um, an email to all the bankruptcy practitioners um, letting us know that he had this opportunity for us. And if you've been a bankruptcy practitioner long enough, you know that you've come across that client where you say to yourself, oh, I wish I had met her or him before they made that decision, before they took out the second mortgage or before they got involved with predatory lenders. So when Judge Waits came along in 2007, it was the ideal situation for me. That, that's a really great story. Um, you know, you sort of answered my next question, which was, you know, really, why do you continue to volunteer all these years? Because there is still a need. Um, CARE at one point did a survey with teens who had just completed high school, and about 98% of them said that um, they spent all of their income, that they put very little in savings. And uh, so there is still a need. And then we, our audiences are with um, middle school children, with high school children, to senior citizens. Uh, so we speak to the gamut of um, age, age groups and they are all so appreciative and so thankful when we're through. So yes. So, so one of the things that makes a CARE presentation special is really the real world perspectives that CARE volunteers bring to the classroom. Do you have a story that you often tell um, to students? Yes, and this goes back to um, 2007, the same time that Judge Waits was soliciting presenters. I was realizing for the first time that I was about to file bankruptcy for the third generation in the same family. And that bothered me. The third generation, that made me think that something was missing. Um, So I'm going to tell you that story. A young man came to my office and he was considering a bankruptcy filing. So I told him what I told most of my potential clients, tell me your story. Why are you here? What brought you here? Because I'm trying to do whether they really need to file this bankruptcy petition. So as he's telling me this story, I'm coming to the realization that I have filed bankruptcy for his mother and for his grandmother. So I really couldn't wait for him to leave so I can go back and look in those files and see just what were the similarities? What what brought this family to me? So the first person that came to me was his mother. And uh, she had had a wonderful job at one point. I mean, she had a great car, she had a large home, plenty of credit cards, plenty of clothes. She was living the life. And then the unexpected happened, which is usually the case with someone who's filing bankruptcy. Something unexpected happened. Well, in her case, she became ill. She went on short-term disability, went on long-term disability, and finally, 
When the illness became chronic, she came on social security disability, which meant she was making a fraction of what she was making when she was working. But she went into a serious case of denial. She just could not believe this was happening to her and she was going to maintain that lifestyle regardless. So she maxed out her credit cards, maintaining the lifestyle and eventually began borrowing from her mother. And that income stream lasted for a while, but it did not last as long as she needed for it to last. And that was when she came out of her denial. She lost her house, she lost her vehicle and ended up having to move in with her mother, she and her son. A few years later, her mother came to me because she was facing a foreclosure. Now the mother, she knew that when her daughter first came to borrow money from her that um, it was not a good situation. And she was almost ready to let that daughter suffer the, 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 the consequences of her actions. But the daughter had her grandson and there was no way she was gonna allow her grandson to suffer because of decisions that her daughter had made. So she started borrowing from the finance companies. She started borrowing from the payday loans and she would sign, she told me, with kind of covering her eyes so that she wouldn't see what that interest rate was, but her daughter needed the money. Eventually, she took out a second mortgage on her home that was almost paid for. Then she also co-signed with her grandson because he wanted this vehicle. And he explained to her that if she signed second on the documents and he signed first, that he was the primary, they would go after him and not bother her. Well, that didn't happen. Um, she ended up with um, a repossessed vehicle on her credit report. She um, could not keep up with the finance companies and the payday loan. She was refinancing those debts and getting deeper and deeper in that rabbit hole. And then finally, she could not make those mortgage payments. So the house ended up in foreclosure. And I'm happy to say we were able to save the house, but that was about it. Then this grandson came to me, the young man who was in my office. He um, had the repossessed vehicle. He knew he could make that car payment. What he did not realize was that there was maintenance, there was taxes that had to be paid, there were insurance that payments that had to be kept up. And so he lost the vehicle. Then he um, really came to me because he was about to lose his job. He had a government-backed student loan to the tune of $70,000. He had become delinquent with that payment. And his employer, who was the government, told him that either he got that situation straightened out or he was going to lose his, his, his position. He'd also had just gotten married. The Girlfriend, uh, fiance wanted a big, beautiful wedding. She did not have the funds for it, but he had the credit cards. So they put all of the wedding expenses on the credit cards. And so they were all maxed out. He was having issues with those payments. Then he found out that his new wife had brought into the marriage $90,000 in student loan debt. She was, that incorporated her undergraduate degree 
and she was working on her graduate degree. So there he was with about $160,000 in student loan debt, a repossession, and his credit cards were all maxed out. So that's why he was in my office. So when I looked at the three cases, it was easy to see what some of the commonalities were. They were abusive of the credit. Um, both the mother and the son had maxed out credit cards dealing with wants instead of what they needed. Um, the grandmother had gotten into predatory lenders trying to help out others. All three had made financial decisions based upon emotions. Um, the mother was in denial because she was losing her, her status. Um, the grandmother was determined that the grandson wouldn't suffer because of what the mother had done. Uh, the young man was in love. And so he decided to max out his credit cards trying to give the wife what she wanted. And I didn't mention that the young man and the wife, his new wife, were having financial issues and were having marital problems as a result of that. So they were all just suffering. And you can see what brought them all together. They also, there was a connect, connectivity there and that as the mother was going down financially, she kind of brought, the, brought her, her mother with her because she asked the mother to borrow money from her. Um, the young man, as he was having issues, he asked his grandmother to help him out um, by co-signing with him on that car. And so, and so, that, so that family um, connectivity was hurting the situation in terms of them um, not helping each other out. So it was a sad story, but it was a true story. I mean, that is such a powerful story. And it just shows what a slippery slope it is that once you open one door, how easy it is to open the next door into the next door into the next door until you just come till you get yourself in a place that you can't dig yourself out. Um, Correct. Um, that is, you know, I what a horrible situation for that family. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you tell that story and you're talking to a group of young people and there might be some young people listening today. You know, what are the main things that you want them to take away from your presentation when you spend time with them? The number one thing, and I remember talking to a group and this was an older group right as the pandemic was getting started. And I was saying, develop that emergency fund put a lot of focus on that emergency fund. And we see that a lot with bankruptcy filers. Something unexpected happens and there's no emergency money. I also try to get them to understand wants versus needs and the how you should deal with them. First, how you should recognize them and then how to deal with them and not make, make the mistake in thinking that your want is a need. Um, I try to get them to create a budget, to learn how to deal with a budget, how to create one. We have so many apps out there today that will help you in terms of creating that budget. And then we talk about those who are on their way to college. We talk to them about student loans, about making, looking at what it actually costs 
to go to various schools? Can you afford to go to an out-of-state school? Maybe you can go to a tech school initially, um, but we ask them or we try to get them to see what they are borrowing, um, what's unsubsidized student loan versus subsidized student loan and what the difference is. Um, we talk to them about just not borrowing more than what you actually need. And the story that I told the young man, he paid for more than just his college with that student loan. I mean, he was living large and we tried to get kids to, to not do that. We want children to be inspired to make good financial decisions. Um, and I, when I talk to the, to the older um, adult audience, I'd remind them or try to get them to see the need to talk to the younger people in their families. If you've made a mistake, share that, that mistake with them. Make sure that you talk to them. That was one other thing that came out in the CARES um, survey was about 68% of the um, students were saying that no one in their family had ever talked to them about credit. Um, so they were depending upon what they had heard in the street, as opposed to talking to a trusted family member. And, you know, we ask them or we try to talk to them about emotions and making financial decisions and to try to remove those emotions because those financial decisions will stay with them for a very long time. So um, we want students to do more than just pay their bills. We want them to be smart in terms of making their financial decisions. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today, Pam. Um, so South Carolina has a very active chapter. And like you mentioned, you present to schools and groups all across the state. And if you're an educator or with an organization, how can people get in touch with you um, and the South Carolina team? They can send us an email and that email should go to care at scb.uscourts with an s.gov. So again, that's care, C-A-R-E, at scb.uscourts.gov. And we will respond to them as quickly as possible. Well, thank you so much. Um, and uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Tammy, as it was a pleasure. Grace, and on behalf of everyone at CARE, we would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Voices of CARE podcast. If you or anyone you know are interested in sharing your financial literacy tips and stories as a guest on our podcast, please contact G-T-A-S-K-I-N-S-O-Y at care4yourfuture.org.